Is Jacques still in here? Is Jacques? Uh, I loved hearing those stories. I, um, I think it's just, Chad, thank you for leading the team and, and going down and allowing our church uh, to experience serving and expressing the grace God's given us and sharing that with others. And uh, man, oh man, uh, love seeing the different generations go down and um, Christy and Nick for setting a legacy for your kids. I think that's awesome. And I know you guys live a busy life and um, to make that a priority is just an example for everybody. So thank you guys for that. And, um, you know, let's pray before we get started um, and then we'll jump right into the message. God, we thank you so much for even just opportunities like what just happened yesterday. God, it's, it's the body being your hands and feet. You called us to be your hands and feet, to bring life, light, healing, health everywhere that we go, God. God, continually place on our hearts the children of God all over this world. And God, that we, although we have a lot in our life around us, but God, that we continually look to go and bless the world and bring the good news and god we thank you for opportunities like that bring more our way god as willing co-laborers workers in your kingdom we love you we thank you in jesus name amen we are in this series right now that um, we decided to call when uh, the word became flesh the whole point of the series especially leading into christmas is to talk about why God came in the flesh, why Christ walked. What do we see what, that he did, who he was, our example, as he's walking? And I, this whole idea, just if you think about the word became flesh, is that Christ's arrival revolutionized how we live, how we move, and what we do. Like those who went down to Mexico, it's part of why you went is because that's what Jesus would do. What we do when we, when we see somebody at work who's an enemy, if you will, and we go, I'm going to still love that person regardless. It's a Christ-like action. It changed everything that we do. We had an example in Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to watch and follow and say, that's what God would do when God was on earth. And God encourages us, be, be like me, bear my image, right? The more we are around or closer or seek to be like God, the more we will do the things that God did on this earth. And so one of the, the main passages, the anchor passage is in John, First uh, uh, John 22.6. Uh, Whoever says he abides, or meaning stays in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if you say, I am a believer, Christ is in me and I am in Christ, then you ought to walk like Christ walked. And I, 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 I say it maybe even in that way as a challenge to never forget that we are called to walk like Christ walked. Not just... Um, be in Christ, but to walk like he walked. It's so good to study the Bible. It's so good to pray. It's so good to come to church. But we're called to walk. Just like with our bodies. If we just consume, 
and never exert energy, like Jack with a thousand calories, right? If we're never putting it to work, if we're never doing that, it will literally, in, in, in a sad way, will actually could immobilize you for the kingdom work because we're so bogged down by the consuming and not in the going. The going is important, so, so important. But that's why we read scripture. That's why we're here. That's why we pray is to bring in what God has for us and then bring it out. I would encourage you to memorize that verse before Christmas. I've been saying it every week. Reflect on it. Man, the other day I was playing my son in basketball. Now, he challenged me to a game and I, I let him win. Okay, and it's, it's like I wish he would realize what I was doing, but then he got really arrogant, and he was like, wow, dad, that's the first time I played you, and I beat you, like, you're not, you're not as good as what I thought, and I'm like, Ugh. it was very, very hard for me, I was really struggled, and so I was like, okay, well, let's play, we played yesterday morning, and I was like, let's go up to the park, let's go to the hoops, and uh, let's play again. And he's like, okay. And I was like, do you want to make a bat? And he's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bad dad, okay? <laughs> I'm just not going to lie. And he's like, no, 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 let's just play. So I played him. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I wasn't kind, okay? <laughs> but I'm trying to teach him. I'm trying to show him. I'm trying to like, hey, listen, oh, the way you're shooting the ball, your form's off, you know? And he's like, what's form? And I was like, oh, boy. And so we're doing a little bit of training but as I'm destroying him. And then afterwards, he's like, he's like, you know what? He's like, that's like not fair. He's like, uh, you know, why, why all of a sudden are you better now? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I just thought about it, and I just couldn't stand you talking trash to me all week, every single day. And he'd say, Mom, can you believe I beat Dad? It was the first time I played him. It's like, did he ever play basketball? I was like, oh. So we were working on his form that day, and we were walking home, and he's like, what do you mean by form? And I'm like, you, you have to learn the fundamentals. You have to learn, and it's a practice thing. You do over and over and over. And I was like, you've played two games. and Because and, he was asking me, like, oh, how, how come you, you shoot this specific way, or how come you can make those certain shots? He was obviously impressed, and it was... <laughs> I was like, but I told him, I said, Jackson, I, I've, I've played thousands of games. Guy, right? You just, you don't, it's second nature. You don't even think. You play, I played thousands. You played two. So you have a long way to go. But I brought him home, and we, I put on the Netflix, uh, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. I was like, if you want to watch someone who perfected form, you might as well go to the real goat of all greatest of all time and watch him at work and so we sat and we watched and, and 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 you look and I was like look at the perfect form look at this guy shot thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of shots watch everything he does from his motion would study how he moves I was like and he watched you know uh, the first part of the series and what I want him to see is what I want us to see as a church. When we are reflecting on scripture, when we are watching the form of God incarnate, how he treats people, how he moves, what he does, it revolutionizes the way we live. It's no good if you just study it and go, that's really great. 
it's really, really good when you do what they did yesterday and you put it to work, like they did in Mexico. When you put it to work at the office or at home or on the street or with your friends and your family, it's that continual repetition that brings the form to its, I think, greatest potential. But when we look at Jesus walking, it's, it's really he is showing hope for humanity, even at a physical level, of what we do while we are living on this earth and how we are living. The Christmas story, it, it, we, we read a passage last week that was the angel speaking uh, to, I think it was Joseph, and now we're going to read a passage from uh, the angel approached Zechariah. This is John the Baptist's father. And it's in the le- coming of Christ, right? And the angel is prophesying, telling him, these things are going to happen. And these things are going to happen for you. And you're going to have a child in your old age. And he doubted it. He didn't believe it. And so his mouth was silenced for a while. And the leading up to this prophecy I'm going to read from Zechariah, is he was silent, but then they were going to pick a name. Now, traditionally, they would have picked Zachariah Jr. And it would have been crazy for it, not, not breaking tradition. And finally, because his name was to be John, he writes down, it should be John. And his mouth is opened, and he has this beautiful prophecy in Luke 1. But I'm going to read the very tail end, because it leads into what we're going to talk about today. It's in verse 78, whereby... This is what he says. This is he's prophesying. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. I really love the way it's phrased. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, meaning in darkness, but in the shadow of death, that place David talked about in Psalms where it's the worst of the worst place. You know that place, some of you. And to guide our feet into the way of peace. There's a way out. There's a different way. There's a new life. There's light when there was darkness. All of us are here because light shined in the darkness of your life. And now there's a way towards peace, right? I titled this message, One of the Things That We See Jesus Do, and you cannot deny it that Jesus, he, when you see him walking, what he's doing, and how he's interacting, he came to heal. Jesus clearly healed people. He restored people. Christ came to heal, to restore. You know, he brought life and, he, and light to the broken. It was almost like wherever he went, it was almost like, uh, have you ever had a mechanic ride in your car, and they're like, what's that noise? And you're like, oh, you know what I'm talking about? And they're like, oh, your brakes are squeaking. You need to change them. And they're just, they're observing. They hear, and they can just hear an engine. And it's amazing because they'll go, oh, you know what? Uh, I had a guy ride in my car, and he said, oh, your, uh, your transmission motor, your transmission mounts are loose. And I'm like, how do you even know that? It's amazing what they can do. They just hear, and, and they go into fix Dan, who's one of uh, uh, a great friend of mine, he's one of our elders and <clears throat> works in the medical industry. And he would see me sometimes when I speak on stage and he'd talk to me afterwards like, are you feeling OK? I was looking at you and you, do, you don't look all right. And I was like, actually, I don't feel well right now. And it was just so he's just studying and looking. We had a dermatologist who would, she used to come here and they ended up moving. And 
she would just, I asked her, I was like, so is it hard for you to look at people and not, like, think things? And she's like, yeah. And I go, are you thinking things about me? She goes, yes, I am thinking things right now. As I'm looking, I was like, ooh, don't look at me. It, it was, it's one of these things that they do, or, or, or like, Rob, right, right, Rob, you're really good with woodwork, and, you, and you're a great carpenter in a way, even though I know you're not officially a carpenter, but any of you who are, it's like you watch a carpenter, and they go through a house, and they, they just touch. It's like, it's not even like, oh, this looks good. I like this. Uh, these transitions are really nice. Or, oh, this is a little loose, and you're like, stop touching stuff, okay? I'm going to have to fix it. <laughs> this is what Jesus does everywhere he goes. He's fixing broken things. This is the, 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 the light that came that was prophesied. Even in the worst place, in your darkest place, he came to fix things that are broken. He came to heal. Jesus brings healing ultimately to all of creation. He comes to restore. Uh, if you're in a place where you feel like you're in the shadow of, uh, of, of darkness and you're, you're in this place where you feel like there's, you're sitting in darkness, if you're in this place where you feel like you're in a hard way, in a tough place, it's easy to hide here. It is. But internally, God knows where you're at. He knows what's going on. He knows how hard it is now. He knows the places that you've been. He's not afraid of that. If you're in that place, this story, these three stories I'm going to read in the book of Mark, chapter 5, and we'll just read that section. You'll be encouraged. I, I believe you will be encouraged. But these are three stories of healing and restoration. Uh, let's get right to the first one, Mark 5. And I'm going to stop throughout the passage. And I'm just going to teach just a little bit as I go. Um, and then I have a main point I want to drive in a second. They came to the other side. So Jesus is saying, we're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're on their way. This massive storm hits. The disciples freak out, and they're like, we're going to die. And Jesus is like, you forget who you're with. And then he calms the storm. They get to the other side, and they get to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. And it says this. They get there, and as they cross over, they're at a different part of the Sea of Galilee. There's a bit of a divide here. And this divide here, it starts way, way back. And I think it's Numbers 20, 32. And as Moses and Joshua, and they're crossing over to go to the promised land, this tribe of Gad stops, and they're like, hey, we're all herdsmen. We're all shepherds. This looks like good land. We should stay here. You guys go on ahead. And Moses and Joshua put up a stink, and they're like, you're gonna let you're gonna stay here, and when you're not gonna go to the promised land like God called us, and they're like, no, 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 we'll come with you. We're gonna go with you, but then we're gonna come back here and settle. So they did, and it was a long settlement of one of the tribes of Israel. So there was a huge population there of Jewish settlers, and they were ultimately taken over by Greece, and then ultimately in six B.C. they were taken over by Rome. And so they've been under Roman rule there, but there's this very big mixed population of Jews and Gentiles. And so let's pick up, so that maybe gives you some context of this story. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, he immediately <clears throat> there met him out of the tombs, a man of an unclean spirit. Now this is the most interesting demonic story in the Bible. And so it's unlike the other stories. 
There's an interaction that's like no other story of the demonic stories that Jesus encounters. And he's an unclean spirit, and he's living in the tombs. Now, even in our culture today, it would be somewhat odd if someone was living in the graveyards. <laughs> and they came out and be like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> Let's just stay away from him or her, right? We would just be nervous, like you're living amongst the dead. But it's kind of interesting that this is where he's at. I think it's the state of where he's at inside. And it says in verse 3, and he lived among the tombs, right? It's unclean. And so in their culture, it was even a greater, not just weirdness, but offense, because he's living where you should not live. And he would be very much considered unclean, and he has an unclean spirit. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. So this guy has become a problem to the neighbors, right? He is unchainable. He's wild. He's unclean. In verse 4, it says, Then he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he uh, uh, sorry, wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Sadly, in verse 5, day and night, he lived amongst the tombs. He was in total isolation. This is maybe one of the more heartbreaking stories of a person in a condition that is absolutely in darkness and, and, and isolated from culture, unclean. No one wants to be around him. He cannot control himself. He says, and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He was vexed. You don't like times 10, okay, or 100. Are they howling at night, screaming? Are you like, oh, he got out of his chains again. No one's thinking this, right? <laughs> I, I had a neighbor once that was my worst neighbor of all time, and <clears throat> it was really hard to be a Christian, and, uh, but I held it together. He would come over and be like, oh, look at your lawn. It looks terrible. Now look at my lawn. I'm like, oh. And at night, he'd have these big bonfires, and he would do what this guy would do. He would howl at night, and he did that. Too old to be partying this hard kind of, oh, like at night, and it, we would have to shut all of our shades, and he would wake us up with his howl. I didn't check to see if he was chained. I didn't, but it was intense. This guy was someone that society said, stay away. Not only is he vexed, he's tormented, but he's socially isolated, and everyone's afraid of him. Man, Jesus will go anywhere to anyone. I don't care where you're from. I don't, Jesus definitely doesn't care where you've been, where you've come from, how dark inside you feel you are. There is no person that is off limits to Jesus, and we'll see. I would say the main point I would love for you to take away, that strongholds break for Jesus. They do. They will always break for Jesus, no matter how hard the stronghold, how difficult the situation is, believers, I think, must never relinquish their hope for healing in areas of brokenness or even physical healing. You never let go of the hope. You always hang on to the hope because this is the Jesus that shows up in those places. 
you know, I don't know how any, everybody believes in here about healing. I believe that God heals. I, I believe that. I, I, can't, I can't say that I haven't seen it myself or experienced it myself. And I would imagine many of you here have a testimony where you're like, I was praying and praying. I saw God heal. Whether it's in restoration or whether it's in physical healing, God is about healing humanity. And he's about healing people. Jesus modeled this all the time. I'll never forget this call I got when I was a young pastor years ago, and I had to carry the pastoral phone at this church, and if anybody called, I was on a rotation with the other pastors, if anybody called, you had to go up to the hospital no matter what time of the night and go up there and be with them and pray. I got the worst call I ever got, and it was somebody said, can you come up and give my his sister, their la her last rites. And I'm like, well, I don't do that. And, and I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, I, I, I'll, I'll go up and we'll pray. And I will never forget this. I remember that we, her, her, her other sister said, listen, let's just pray and believe that God's going to do something. Because they wanted to pull the plug that night. And they wanted me to just first pray these last rites. And I got up there and I love the sister's faith. And I think I just was right along with the ride. And she's like, let's just go in and let's pray. Everyone else is in this private morning cry room in the hospital. And they're screaming, she's dead. Like, it was insane. I was like, this is real intense. I, I, I can't be here right now. We're going to go and pray. And we prayed. And we prayed. And we were like, God, if you have anything in, to do in here, do it, God. Like, we'd love to see your glory. So I left, and they said, we're going to, well, well, they were going to pull the plug, and I said, just wait a few days. Why not just wait? And I convinced them not to do it. I left, never heard from them again. And, and this is probably, the biggest moment is where I get this letter, and it was from the lady. And she said, I don't know you, you don't know me. You came to my hospital room, and you prayed. Thank you. I just started riding my bike today. And she was fine. She was fine. She had a miraculous recovery. I don't know exactly how all of that works. I just know that I will never relinquish faith. I have times where healings didn't happen, and that's something I don't pretend to even know. But I do believe Jesus is the same. I can't say that this was just Jesus then. I think it's Jesus now. So he, this guy, is going to experience this demoniac, this type of power from Jesus. It's too much to handle for others, and you might feel that way, but it wasn't too much for Jesus, right? And I always think, like, what happens when Jesus arrives to broken people? Something interesting. You should study that. What happens when Jesus arrives to broken people? What, what transforms in their life? It says, and when they saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. And he said, what have you to do with me? Now, we read it softly, like crying out in a loud voice. He probably was screaming like in a weird voice, what have you to do with me? Like, this is insane. The disciples are probably freaking out. And Jesus, and he goes on to say, son of the most high God. Now, normally Jesus would silence them. But this demoniac says his name fully and recognizes him as the son of God. He probably has the demons at least recognize Christ more for who he is than the disciples do at the time. 
An interesting thing is, you know, there's some superstition in this culture at this time, and even the Jews of that day thought that when there was a spiritual presence, if it stated the full name and authority of someone, it had spiritual power over them. So maybe this is what the demoniac is doing. He said, I adjure you by God, do not, tor do not torment me. Meaning, Jesus, we know our fate's coming. Is it now? Don't do this now. Right? They're very aware that the end will happen for them. In verse 8, he was saying to him, come out of the man, Jesus was saying to him, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And then he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country, Luke says, to the abyss. And he says, Legion, that's my name now. This name is familiar to everyone in the story because the Romans had legions and they were of 6,000 and a little bit more. And so it was a powerful thing when a legion showed up. But battalions, even in that time, were called legions and they were about 2,000, which makes more sense, I think, to the story. So here he is saying, I want you to know by just my name, which is really a number, I'm many. Now, this should scare many people. I'm sure it did. But either way, Jesus, aren't you intimidated by my numbers, my power? And so Jesus is not, and he sends them out into these pigs that are over on the hillside. There's about 2,000 of them. And the pigs at that time, whatever we think about these pigs doing this, is that there were an illegal operation happening within their culture. It was outlawed to do what was, they were doing, these, these herders were doing. They were providing meat for these Gentiles, and they were doing it on land. God promised them, and it was a huge operation. So Jesus sends them into the pigs, and they drown themselves in the lake. I don't understand the fullness of that story, but I do know that two things kind of happen in one moment. Man... These demons are driven out, and they are ending an illegal operation within the country, which they were forbidden to have. And it makes a lot of sense what happens next because of that. The herdsmen fled, and they told the city in the, in, in the country, uh, and the, in the country, the people came to see what had happened. Verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed, in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now this word afraid ha has a few meanings in the Greek, but there's one that really stuck out to me, and it was dread. It, it, it has a little bit more of like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh no. Things are about to change. It's like when mom and dad come home, and everyone's like, uh-oh. <laughs> Things are going to change. Or a new boss who's got some standards and rules. Uh-oh. Jesus is a threat at this moment to these people. There's not necessarily awe. It's a little bit of dread. Verse 16, And those who had seen it described it to uh, them and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. But I think this is such a beautiful picture of restoration. Here is a man who's been vexed for many years, social outcast, has living in caves. He, he doesn't have clothes on. He's dehumanized. He's nothing resembling the image of God. Nothing. And Christ brings restoration, life, dignity, healing, 
life. And they come and see him sitting. He's clothed in his right mind. That's what Jesus does. It says, and they beg Jesus to depart from the region. Not, glory to God, this is amazing. They're like, okay, cool. Can you go? Right? This is not good for them. They're, they're, they're threatened in a lot of ways, and I believe it's threatening them for their livelihood, for change. They've been kind of a little lax. They're across the pond. They don't have to follow all the rules, and they're a little bit mixed into a culture that's leading them another way. And can you just go? Great for Bob. He's back now. We got Bob back, but Wow. It's like that friend when you tell them good news and they're like, that's really great. I've got to go, right? They don't want to hear it. They want to go. But he had good news that day. And maybe it's just a little too much healing, maybe a little too much change. And so they asked him to go. I want us to be careful to, to be, be, and be aware not to do the same thing. When Christ is beginning to convict and he's beginning to work through things let's not ask him hey we're good here go i want to continue in the way that i have been we have to be careful careful not to do that you know it's great when jesus is here until it costs me too much but it will it will cost you things and for them it was a threat so they wanted him to leave Pigs profit pleasure over this man's life restored. Why? You know, but I'll just say this. Jesus never asked Jesus to leave, no matter how uncomfortable it is. Never asked him to stop. Never turn away from the work he's doing. I don't know what would happen had Jesus continued to progress into that area, had they invited him to come. But listen to what happens next. Verse 18. And he was getting into the boat, and the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him to come. Now that's not fair. Right? When you read this story, you're like, why would you do that, Jesus? Like, this guy, <laughs> this guy, <laughs> this guy could be a story for you. This guy could be a testimony. Why would you not let him come? Is it because he was maybe a little too unkept? I don't know. Like, why would you not let him go? But, oh, we do know why. In the next verse. But he said to him, go home to your friends. Go home. You don't have to live in that place anymore. You don't have to be this outcast. Go home. And I love this part. And tell him how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. And I will say this. The, <laughs> your testimony is most impactful to people who know you. He could have come with Jesus, and Jesus would have been like, this guy had a 1,000, 2,000 demons. But to the people who saw him for who he was, cannot believe what they're seeing with their own eyes. You have a story like that. I know I do. I remember when I became a believer, my friends were like, what has happened to you? Have you been taken by a cult? Like, it was, they were freaking out. What has happened to you? Why are you, why are you like this now? And they didn't understand. And they're like, you're different now. And even now when I tell people how I was when I was younger, they're like, I can't even imagine it. I'm like, that's, thank you. That's all God's doing in my life. Your story is so impactful around your family and your friends. Share it. You have a testimony of healing in your life, whether it be physical, emotional, 
obviously spiritually, or brokenness that was healed, share it. It's good news. And so Jesus says, no, you can't come hang out with me all the time. You go share that. I was reading this old, uh, I was reading this old preacher in the 1800s. One of his sermons, he spoke about this particular situation. And he was talking to a business owner, and the business owner said, I just wish that I could just be in heaven right now, and all I think about is being in heaven. He said, oh, really? Let me ask you a question. If you have an employee who stocks shelves, and on Tuesday he says, all I think about is Saturday, are you going to keep him around? And I was like, that is such a good example. You're meant to be put to work. Heaven will be there, but God needs you at work building the kingdom, working and co-laboring in the kingdom. Can't just wish for heaven one day. I I hear this stuff all the time, but we're called to co-labor, and your story, your testimony of the living God is meant to be shared. There is nothing greater that honors God than sharing your story and co-laboring in his work. There is nothing that shows greater honor for the work he's done in your life than sharing and speaking it. Verse 20, and, when they, and he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is like 10 cities basically, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled because they knew where he came from. Like, is that the howling guy? Like, that's what was happening. Jesus restored this man's humanity to resemble what he was created in the image of. He restored his humanity. The NIB has this really good commentary. uh, The commentator wrote this, and I want to read it to you. It says, likewise, in many of the miracles of exorcism of Jesus, healing involves breaking down traditional barriers so that a person formerly excluded from the community are included. Why does God care about that? It matters to him. It matters for that full restoration, not just in heaven, but restoration, not just spiritually, but in the way we live in in our culture. He cares. God cares so much about that. So when somebody prays a prayer like, God, I know it's dumb, but I'm just praying for this situation to get better. And I know you're a big God. You got lots of things to think about. Well, he cared so much that that person would be restored back into their community. He cares about all the little things that we come to him about. Nothing is too small for God, and definitely nothing is too big. And then I'll just go really quick, these two stories, for time's sake. In the next step of this uh, chapter, it says, then we start to see a, a, a different stronghold being broken. In verse 21, And when Jesus had crossed again to, uh, in the boat to the other side to Capernaum, um, he, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then, he, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, uh, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell on his feet and he implored him, earnestly saying, My little daughter is at a point of death. Come and lay hands on her so that she may be made well. And he went. Now this guy is amongst a bunch of people, most likely a Pharisee, who... Jesus is a little bit of public enemy number one. Not big fans of what Jesus is doing around there, but it was the pain and the, and, the, and the potential loss of his daughter. And if your child is in danger, the things parents will do 
He was about ready and probably lost all credibility within the community by falling on his feet before Jesus and begging him to come heal his daughter and saying, I know if you do, it will happen. It broke down every bias that he had when there's pain and there's suffering. It stopped everything. He didn't care. He cared more about his daughter than his status in that community. And he was willing to lay it all out and risk it all. He wasn't a friendly, that's for sure. But his sick child overcame the bias and the hate. It was the humanity that connected him, that brought it past all the biases. It was the humanity of a dad. He risked everything for love. It, it, it's just amazing because he was the exact opposite of the other people. He fell and begged and said, please stay here. I risk everything that I have for my daughter and I believe you can do it and I believe you are able. And the other community says, we don't want to risk anything, so can you leave? This is a complete opposite switch, but Jesus still nonetheless goes and brings healing to life. But he broke some strongholds in that Pharisee, uh, uh, Pharisee's life. And on the way, there's another thing that happens. It's another story, and we'll close with this one. Is, uh, there's a desperation for healing. So he's on his way, Jairus' house. He's going that way to heal his daughter. And in the middle of a crowd, they're swarming him. A woman reaches out and grabs him because she has had a 12-year disease. And it's public. And it isolates her from everyone else. It's a bleeding issue. So therefore, she's probably perpetually unclean and a little bit isolated from culture. And she sneaks into this crowd. And she's hoping just for a moment just to touch the hem of his garments, which in her head she said, if I can just touch that, I'll be whole. And he stops in the middle of this. He's so desperate. And Jesus says this, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now this is interesting, uh, uh, an interesting moment because everyone's touching him, but someone with this faith desperate, 12 years. I don't know if you've ever had a condition that's gone on for 12 years, but if you even just have like an ankle that hurts or uh, a wrist, you're just like, and you won't stop talking about it. This is me. Like, oh, my back. Am I <laughs> having a couple things I complained about too long? My wife said, we're not hearing this anymore. <laughs> yes, you hurt. Okay, I got it. I'll remember. <laughs> Right? We, it, it's just so nagging. She's so desperate. She, she's isolated from her culture. And Jesus, in one moment, restores her to her community, restores her to her social standing, and restores her physically. Everywhere he goes, he brings healing. And he says, who touched me? The disciples are freaking out because they said, uh, you see the crowd pressing against you? You're saying, who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. Verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Notice the posture of every single person coming to Christ. And the demon-possessed man, and Jairus, and then in this woman. It's 
is submission to something greater than them. I, I believe that Jesus is the same today and yesterday. And I believe if they're suffering from something, a brokenness, healing, I believe we should desperately seek out Jesus. She had spent all of her money that she had on doctors and physicians. Nothing was working, and she was so desperate. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your disease. I think he needed her to say it out loud. I think he needed her to say that this is me. She's probably ashamed. And he wanted her to speak. Jesus obviously knew probably who touched her. I'll say this. There's three different people and there's three different problems in these stories here. But there's one very clear outcome. And that is healing and restoration. When Jesus came on that day in Bethlehem, it was the beginning of restoration. It was the beginning of healing spiritually. It was the beginning of healing people emotionally, socially, psychologically, uh, in, in our body. Everywhere Jesus went, strongholds were broken. I think Christmas is about hope. It's about hope in Christ's arrival, definitely. But I have some questions for you. Maybe to think about why we go out this week is, do you invite him in all areas of your life? Will you be like those who said, it's time to go. We're good enough here. Or will you allow him to do his work fully? Do you co-labor with him in restoration with your testimony? Are you actively burning spiritual calories? Or are we just, in a way, staying stagnant and consuming? Just like that, de that demoniac. God is calling you, no, 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 don't. Do, you don't want to sit at my feet all day long. You don't need to come to heaven with me right now. I got to go. You got to stay. Are we being used to build God's kingdom with our testimony. And, and the last question is maybe, is do we set aside our biases, doubts, and fears to believe for healing? We're risking becoming a fool. I never, doubt, I never doubt anybody when they say, I'm just believing God for this. And I'm like, awesome, you should be believing God for this. I'm just praying for, for healing right now. Well, let's, let's continue and pray for healing. Even if it takes years and years and years. I don't know how it works. I, I cannot explain to you. I, I have too many strange stories. I can't say one way or another. But I will say that we should never relinquish that hope. It's worth and it's risk the risk of becoming a fool like this woman. I think he displays his love for humanity in these stories. You see that he doesn't just care about your spiritual well-being. He cares about you while you're here on this earth well-being. And he's a good model for us. It must be time for me to stop talking. They literally did the Grammys on me. Okay. <laughs> I'll just say this. Jesus, he came to heal. Do not lose hope in that this season. And healing in many different ways. I know there's broken people here. I know there are. I know some of your story. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's probably not worse than the demoniac. And he's capable of doing that with a word. Don't lose hope. This is a season of hope. 
that there's something better on the other side and that your megaphone then will happen from your testimony. You should shout it wherever you go. Let's bow our heads. He came to heal, restore, and bring salvation in the kingdom. And I think the thing is, is that we have to realize is that as he is doing that in your life, which I could have you stand up here and tell your testimony time a time and a time again. But it needs to be out in the world. It needs to be in the places of your influence where you're sharing your story. You were once lost like that song, but now you're found. You were once blind, but now you can see. You were once in darkness, but now you're in light. So this season, share your story. Allow people to see the tremendous work of Christ in your life. It's not something that's of the past. It's very much in the present. You're living that miracle right now, every day. Don't hold back from that. And if you're seeking healing, don't stop praying. God never stops listening. And if you're looking for restoration, don't quit believing. He rebuilds and restores in unusual ways, but God is about restoration. God, we love you. We thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the example of Christ, but not only that, that he came and loved us so much that he died for us. Jesus, your sacrifice, your modeling, your love to show us a path of peace like Zechariah prophesied. And as we look forward to Christmas, God, we don't just look forward to a moment that passed in history. We look forward to the moment that changed history. And we're here today because of that moment began. And so we love you, God. We thank you. As we walk out today, God, let us not forget our story. Let us not forget our hope. Let us never relinquish to despair, but continue to press on for hope. And thank you, God, that we celebrate that this year and maybe renew our hope in that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you guys stand with us and sing this last song?